Well, let's turn our Bibles, if you would, Mark chapter 11, please, in Mark chapter 11. And I promise it's a short message tonight. I, I went a long time this morning, a lot of information to kind of crunch down for us. But tonight we'll just kind of take a little breather and we'll just talk about praying for the impossible. Praying for the impossible, Mark chapter 11. And as we've been studying through the book of Mark and coming across these different things, you'll remember just a few weeks ago we talked about the withered fig tree and what that meant in the word of God of, of a fruitless tree and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, cursed that tree. And then he went and of course we talked about the cleansing of the temple and on the way back Peter noticed that that tree had been withered up from its roots. And we pick up the story there if you look in Mark chapter 11 and read with me in verse 22. It says, and Jesus answering said to them, have faith in God. If, if I can back up two verses, I think it would help us understand the context. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And that's as far as I went with the fig tree, just simply because it was the proof of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his spoken word. But tonight I want to look at what the Lord responds to Peter, and it says in verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that these things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for... The testimonies tonight of your goodness and your grace, we pray, Lord, that you'd bless now as we turn to the Word of God and as we think about this topic, praying for the impossible. I, Lord, I pray that you'd help us have the right balance of Scripture, help us to understand what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us in this passage. And so I pray that the Spirit of God may fill me, I surrender to you, and I pray that you'd fill each one and speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the day after the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed the temple, and as the disciples are returning through the city once again, and, and don't forget what week this is. This is the Passion Week. This is the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already rode triumphantly into the city and made his way to the temple, and the Bible says he simply looked around. He retreated that night to Bethany, and on the way in the next day to the temple to cleanse it is when he cursed the fig tree for not having any fruit. This next day is, again, a following day, the third day now. And as he sees the fig tree, Peter remarks on He says, Master, look. And they notice this fig tree that had been withered from the roots up. Just the spoken word of Jesus was able to command nature. And Jesus' simple answer was, have faith in God. You know, there's an implication in that statement alone, isn't there, that Jesus is telling the disciples that this act of cursing this fig tree and, and nature itself obeying his voice is a lesson that with God, nothing is impossible. 
I would have never as a disciple, even upon meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, having thought he could speak and calm the storm. That he could speak and wither a fig tree, that he could raise somebody from the dead. But the Lord Jesus Christ has proven to the disciples over and over again that with God, nothing shall be impossible. To have this kind of faith in God as Jesus is teaching his disciples is something that they will have to learn. Isn't it interesting at the end of his ministry, three and a half years and just a couple days before the cross of Calvary, Jesus would say to his disciples, have faith in God. Isn't that lesson number one in our discipleship? Put your faith in Jesus Christ, trust in him, and here they are three and a half years into this journey and he's saying to them again, have faith in God. But let me ask you, if you're being honest with yourself, how many times do we need to be reminded of that? We face an uncertain future and we have to remind ourselves, I just need to trust in God. We, we get a medical report that, that, that brings fear and, and maybe not for us personally, but a child or a grandchild and we have to get down on our face and remind ourselves, I can trust in God. I can have faith in God. And so when Peter brings up the withered fig tree, it wasn't a life-moving moment, so to speak. It was just a dead branch laying on the ground at this point. But Jesus is reminding them once again that with God, nothing is impossible. And you can have faith in him. The disciples are going to have to learn now to live by faith, aren't they? For in just a few days, the Lord Jesus Christ would die on a cross. He would be buried He will rise from the grave, but then 40 days after that, he will be ascended into the heavens. And what they had seen by their sight, now they're going to have to believe by faith. For example, the disciples saw the withered fig tree. You and I believe it by faith. The disciples saw him walk on the water and raise the dead, but we believe it by faith. The disciples met the risen Christ. But we believe in an empty tomb by faith. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. But up until this point, the disciples, even though they had to have faith that this was the Son of God, what they saw dictated to them what their faith was all about. But from this point on, they were going to have to learn to have faith in God. And that's what we must do today. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 20 and verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, upon witnessing the risen Savior, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. There's something about having faith and believing in Lord Jesus Christ and the God of the word, uh, despite not having seen those things. But listen, let's be honest again if we could. We have seen some impossible things, haven't we? We have seen God touch bodies and take cancer. We have seen God do simply the impossible in our church. And and we've seen God save souls. And and listen, in this day and age, somebody getting saved is a miracle. All the forces of hell are bombarding the mind and the heart today to try to keep people from God. God. The Bible says in way back in the Bible days in the, in the book of Corinthians that their eyes were blinded by Satan. Certainly they're blinded today. And yet we've seen precious souls come to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to him and repent of their sins and trust Jesus to forgive them and be their saviors. And friend, to me that is the impossible taking place as God saves the soul. 
But I believe that Jesus had a second lesson that we can learn tonight. Not just to have faith in God, but that faith and prayer go hand in hand. You say, well, that's pretty elementary. Aren't you glad the Bible is simple? That we can just read a passage of Scripture and God can speak to our hearts and he can speak to the child's heart as well. That prayer and faith go hand in hand. I wonder sometimes when we pray how, how our prayers have just become rote. We just repeat the same thing over and over. We bow our head, we close our eyes, we say our prayer, and we get down to business. And we need to have some heart in our prayer. We need to understand that, that with our prayer, we must have faith. And so I want to talk about tonight for a few moments, praying for the impossible. Now look at, look at the first thing tonight. If we're going to pray for the impossible, we must have a foundation of faith. That's where it starts. I, I might say this to you tonight. If you don't have faith, there's no point in praying. Who are you talking to? Who are you praying for? I told you just a few weeks ago that Cody's cousin uh, was killed in a terrible car accident. They were drunk driving and four young people went down into a deep ditch on a curve and they came up the other side and they ended up in the second story of a house in Stony Creek. I, I mean, all four were killed instantly. The house was condemned. It was a, a terrible scene. And I went to the funeral to support the family. And I, I said to his aunt, the, the, the victim's mother, I said, I said, listen, we are praying for you. And she said, why bother? There is no God. Friend, if you have no faith, you have nobody to pray to. And so as we pray, we have to have that foundation of faith in our lives. And we have to believe that God is. And so I want you to notice a couple things in the scripture. We notice if you look in verse 22, we, first of all, we see the premise. The premise is simply have faith in God. Upon the accomplishment of this curse and the result, Jesus explains to his disciples how it was accomplished. He said simply, it was by faith. Jesus said, when I spoke to that tree, I believed it would happen. I spoke in the authority of being God. And nature obeyed. And the tree died. He said, what is the point? The point is this. It speaks of Christ's ability, but it also speaks of his reliability. I like what Brother Cassidy said tonight, that he is consistently faithful. Isn't that good? Man, that's a title of a sermon. I thought, I thought you were going to preach for a minute. That is consistently, God is consistently faithful. I like that. He is God. He doesn't change. And we can trust him. He, is, he has the ability and he has the reliability and you can trust in him. But I want you to see in verse 23, we see a promise. Notice this. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that these things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I saith unto you, whatsoever things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Isn't that a promise? I say unto you that if you believe, you can say unto that mountain, be thou removed, and it shall be cast into the sea. Another portion of Scripture reminds us that if we have the faith but the size of a mustard seed, we can see mountains move. That's the promise of Scripture. But let me ask you, have you ever moved a mountain? In the 2,000 years since Christ has ascended into the heavens, have we ever heard of a mountain being moved? And cast into the sea. I want to I share something that I believe is going on in this passage tonight. I said this morning, I believe every word of this book, 100%. But I also believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is illustrating here. 
I've never seen a mountain moved. What I believe the Lord is doing, and let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul used the same literary device. He said this, though I speak with the tongues of angels and have not charity, I've become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And though I have all knowledge and have not charity, let me ask you, could Paul speak with the angels in their language? No. Did he have all knowledge? Did he know everything? No. He was using hyperbole to demonstrate a point. He was saying, if I could speak with the tongues of angels and I didn't love people, I'd be absolutely nothing. If I knew everything there was to know, but I did not have love, charity, I'd be nothing. He was illustrating. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is doing the same here. He was saying, if you have the type of faith that you can have, and you can trust in a God who's both have the ability and the reliability, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed, and it shall be cast into the sea. He said, then why has that never happened? Because it's not aligned with the will of God. There's no need for us to cast a mountain into the sea. It has never happened. And so we know, having read the Bible, that when we pray in faith, there's more to it than just having faith, right? We also must be in the will of God. And we're going to look at that tonight. We must also make sure that our hearts are pure and our hearts are clean. We'll look at that in a moment tonight as well. And so I believe the Lord is illustrating. And so the promise we see leads to the problem. Why don't we see this come to pass? Because I believe the Lord is simply illustrating. But what he is saying in his illustration is this. If you believe wholeheartedly and not doubt at all in a supernatural almighty God, the impossible becomes possible. We may not have moved mountains, but we have seen God do some amazing things. And I believe that's what the Lord try, is trying to teach us here. And the Lord is a wonderful teacher, but I'm a little bit hard-headed sometimes. And so I say he tries to teach us. We have to absorb it on our end and understand that if we have faith in this almighty, all-powerful God, that he can do the impossible. But you say, so why don't we see more impossible things? Well, we see a couple of problems arise. In verse 23, number one, we have a doubt problem. We have a doubt problem. Look what it says in verse 23 of Mark chapter 11. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not, what? Doubt. Maybe you would like to make the argument with me tonight, and I am not going to fight you on it. I will just smile and nod and say, okay, I, I see your point of view too. You might say to me, Pastor, I believe with all my heart when Jesus said, you can say to a mountain, be thou removed, and be cast in the sea, and it would happen. He said, I believe I could do that. I believe I could. And, you say, and then I'll say, well, let's try it. Let's go find a mountain. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's prove God. I dare say that every one of us would have a little bit of doubt in our heart, wouldn't we? You're standing before that mountain. I remember going out to the uh, British Columbia several times and standing there and seeing the grandeur of those mountains. I, I can picture us standing at the foot of that mountain. Maybe we have a church service. All of us go together and we, we sing a few songs and we pray and we try to make sure we're filled with the Spirit. And I say, okay, Brother Kevin, go ahead. You tell that moving mountain to get lost. Cast it into the Pacific Ocean. I dare say that everyone's going to have a little bit of doubt. 
That's our problem, isn't it? So whether you believe the Lord is illustrating or whether you believe he's, he's saying literally we can move mountains, our problem is doubt. We struggle in our hearts with doubt sometimes. We, we ask God to do things, but we don't necessarily believe. And I remember several times that uh, over the years I've shared this with you, I remember having a prayer meeting down here for Casey Feb when she found out she had cancer all those years ago, 2011, and people got around her and ladies got right over here and they, they wept around her and I walked out in the hallway and, and, and somebody said, all that weeping's not gonna help, preacher. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I had somebody that said to me, well, I guess we'll just love her while we can. Friends, she's a thriving young lady. God cured her from cancer and delivered her. God did the impossible. I'm so glad that she wasn't relying on those two to pray for her. Now, maybe some others of us doubted as well and we wondered but God is able. We have a doubt problem, but I want you to also see we have a desire problem. Notice what it says there in verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Your desires. We sometimes think that we can get whatever we want from God. But God knows what's best for you. Where do your desires align? Do they align with God's desires for you? I remember when I was a boy, how many of you remember the Tasty Freeze? It's the optician's clinic over on Norfolk Street now. I mean, what a terrible thing to trade ice cream for eyeglasses. I mean, good night. And I, I, remember, I remember sitting in church one night, and I was only about six years old, and I'd only been saved a short time, and we were having the Lord's table. Mrs. Browden was at the organ, and I remember the organ was playing the old rugged cross. I remember this like it was yesterday, Mrs. Broughton, the old rugged cross. And you were sitting right here playing that song, and I'm in a pew, and I said, God, I was doubting. I was wondering, God, if you're really real, I had already trusted Christ, and I believed I was saved, God... Have Pastor Strack and lead us in a verse of that song. And wouldn't you know, I mean, I said amen, and he said, let's all sing that song together. I was scared to death. God just, just flexed his muscles a little bit. And then I bowed my head and said, Lord, have my dad take us to Tasty Freeze after church. I thought I could get anything I want. Guess what? We drove right by it. I was over at Maple Street. I guess it wasn't. You weren't sitting right there. That was Maple Street. I was back in, you know, about 1978. I remember as a boy saying, I want my desires. That's not how God works. Turn if you will to James chapter 4. Listen, God is so gracious and so good to you that sometimes he gives you your desires even though you don't deserve them. Isn't God good? He just, I mean, he just lavishes us with blessings. He takes care of all of our needs. But sometimes we ask for those things that are out of his will, and we ought to be very careful about that. Turn, if you will, to James chapter 4. We have a doubt problem, and we have a desire problem. Look at those two things here in James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your less that war in your members? 
Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war and ye have not because ye ask not. You ask and receive not. Look what it says now. Because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. That sounds bad the way it's worded, doesn't it? Consume it upon your lusts. He's just saying you're just praying for your own desires, your fleshly desires, the things you really don't need, the things that might even be harmful to you. That's what you're seeking to do. So he says when you pray, be careful of your desires, but look at also the doubt. Verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Or, uh, sorry, I, I got the wrong passage. Turn back to Jude chapter 1, or James chapter 1. I've already given you the desire problem, but let me give you the doubt problem. In James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, calling it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him, what? Ask of God. What is that? That's prayer, isn't it? But let him ask in faith, verse 6, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Look at the next verse. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why don't we see our prayers answered and see God do the impossible? Because we have a doubt problem and we have a desire problem. To do the impossible for God, we must ask in faith, never doubting, but being sure our desires align with God's. That's the foundation of faith. Now let me give you the second thing, and we'll be done in a moment. The fundamental of forgiveness. Turn back, if you will, to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, the fundamental of forgiveness. <clears throat> this is interesting. These next two verses, Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, come from the Sermon on the Mount. And just like I did a few minutes ago, pulling something from an old sermon and re-illustrating it tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ does the same thing. He takes what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, now this is a great time to apply this. He's teaching on having faith in God and praying in faith and he says, but oh, let me remind you of something from the Sermon on the Mount. When you stand praying, forgive. Make sure you forgive. And so we see the fundamental of forgiveness. We know there is more to seeing our prayers answered than just asking with unwavering faith according to the will of God. And so Jesus gives us more. And we see, first of all, a powerful reminder. Notice, if you will, in verse 24, he says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. If ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. A powerful reminder. Do you know I was looking for similar things in other gospel messages. And I found that Luke did the same thing. 
That later on, the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching on something else, and Luke pulled something out of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ repeated it exactly as he had said it, but there it was again, and the Lord brings about these powerful reminders from time to time just to talk to us again. And here's the thing that he did in Luke and in the book of Mark, he reminds us to forgive one another. He says, you want your prayers answered? You want to do the impossible for God? You need to understand the fundamental of forgiveness. And so we see a powerful reminder. But I want you to see also, this is what I, what I like, the principle of return. The principle of return. Notice this in verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive, if ye have, what's the next word? Ought against any. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your what? trespasses. Let me just give you a little word study for a second. You know what that word ought means? It means something. That's all it means. Have you ever, have you, ever uh, you may not use the word ought today, but have you ever got off the phone with somebody and your wife says, hey, how are they doing? And you say, yeah, I don't know. There's just, just something there. Something's not right. You bump into somebody in the hallway and maybe they're preoccupied or they're busy or, or maybe something's going on and, and they're, you know, distracted. And you say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And I'm fine, how are you? And they just keep walking and you go, hmm, something, something's there. Something's not right. You ever, you ever said that? Come on, wake up. Maybe you're nodding and I don't see you. I don't know. That's what odd is. The Bible says, if any man have ought with his brother, he should forgive. And the Bible also says, if you have ought with anybody, you ought to also forgive that. So it goes both ways. It's just the smallest little thing. But notice what God says. If you have ought with your brother, if, if you stand and you have ought against any, that your father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You know what trespasses are? Trespasses is when we cross the line. When we sin. In Matthew chapter 18, the Bible says, if any man trespass with his brother, you're to go to him and make it right. But if that is not made right, it can go all the way up to being put out of the church. It is a personal sin against another. It is a dispute among brethren. It is something that is serious enough to be disciplined out of the church of God. Think about this. God says, if, if you believe somebody has even slighted you the least, you forgive them. And I'm willing to forgive you great big things. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful return? All I have to do is have a clear conscience before God. And, and, you know, oh, Paul was a little unkind to me. Forgive it. Let it go. Somebody said something not very nice or somebody uh, sent that email to somebody else gossiping about, about me. Just let it go and forgive it. Because, listen, how much has God forgiven you? And if you want your sins forgiven, you need to learn how to let those oughts go that God may forgive you of your trespasses. So we see the principle of return. Here's, here's the point. The return is greater. God says, forgive those oughts, and he will forgive your trespasses. And that how often God works like that, doesn't he? What, what does the Bible say in Luke chapter 6? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God says, give, and he will press it down, shake until it's running over, and he'll give it back to you. 
Oh, a wonderful, wonderful principle of Scripture that you cannot outgive God, and that includes forgiveness. So the return is greater. But let me say this in closing tonight. The return is guarded. The return is guarded. What do I mean? Look at verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. There is no return if we do not first forgive. Why do we not see God do the impossible when we pray? This is not everything, obviously. There's lots more in the Bible about prayer. But tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ says we need to learn how to forgive. We need to learn how to pray in faith without any doubt. We need to pray with nothing wavering, trusting in God. We need to believe that he is able. But we also need to learn how to forgive others if we're going to see God work and move in our daily lives. I don't know about you, but I want to see God do the impossible. There's a lost and dying world out there that doesn't care at all that we get together and we sing to a God they don't believe in. They don't care at all that we can pool our money together and put a building up and put a few buses on the road. They, they don't care about any of that. Let me tell you, when they start seeing God do the impossible, they'll start to notice. We need to show them there's a big God. But if we're going to do it, we have to learn how to forgive one another, that we might be forgiven, that our prayers might have a powerful effect on the throne of heaven. Let's do that now. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for your word and your love for us. Lord, I, I just, the thing that just jumps out at me, that if I can just forgive the smallest little thing, you're willing to forgive my sins, my trespasses. What a wonderful return. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to learn how we might pray for the impossible, how we might see God move in our midst and help us to do greater things for God, to see souls saved and lives changed. Lord, what a wonderful testimony it would be to the town of Simcoe to see a drunkard off the street. Lord, I, I go to pick up Josh from work and we see homeless people and we see drug addicts and we see drunkards. And God, I pray that, Lord, that we'd see revival in this town. Brother Paul had testified tonight, we so desperately need God. Lord, those impossible things can only happen if we are right, if we are praying in the right spirit, not to consume it on our own lust, but praying in the will of God and trusting you to do what you do best, to change lives, to save souls, to rescue men. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to be that people of prayer that we ought to be. Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll just let the piano play. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. What are you asking God for that's impossible? And is your heart right before God that you can even come to his throne and ask? Do you have aught with a brother? Forgive it. That God may forgive you and hear your prayers.